available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And myself and the game show host, David Woods, we make the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. It's the middle of February, the end of February, we have a packed show day. Like we have a lot of news. We got a lot of questions. Like what is going on? I thought it'd be like, we just knocked this one out in an hour. Not going to be the case today. Yeah. I think people are shooting their wads a little too early with the questions. (laughs) Like this isn't even the really slow time. Wait till May. All right. Wait till May to ask us like random us president questions. Now it's like, we could do like four or five questions and be in and out and it'd be fine because we got a lot of stuff to cover. It's still, it's still, you know, busy time. It's football-y stuff too. Yeah. Uh, there's some football-y things and all that. And if you want to, you know, we're not discouraging you. We want to hear from you. So oh, if you'd like yeah, to email yeah. us. I, I just know we'll get one question now next week. because next, Yeah. It'll be like, a, you know, a desert. Um, we got, so just email us, pack12podcast at gmail.com with any questions you have. You can also call or text us. We have a, Kind of lengthy text uh, to read today, 424-532-0678. That's the number. You can tweet us at Pac-12Podcast, where I'll try to do some stuff there. David, usually not, unless I tweet something that he doesn't like. And then <laughs> the website is Pac-12Podcast.com. I do that sometimes, just tweet something I know just to get David's attention, because then it like brings him back into the fold a little bit. But Pac-12Podcast.com is a website where you can find all the old episodes. On the Reddits, it's uh, slash r slash podcast of champions i haven't checked it lately i was checking it pretty good during the season i'll try to get on there a little bit too but the important thing is if you're on apple podcast please subscribe and rate us that five-star rating is hugely important to us and then you can trash talk us in the comments but the five stars that's what we really care about and we've got a few uh new ones really well i wouldn't yeah. be counting on that as part of the big show like it's we- an even bigger show now we do have a couple of new ones all right so this is from big smooth 27 Five stars. A four-star podcast is the subject line. <laughs> Due to the unofficial third host being a yuck, Hithliday, but redeemed by the righteous flack directed at recent step-down-a-year-early Champagne Larry, the personification of an effing dumpster fire. Thank you, Ryan and David, for making the last several years more enjoyable. Oh, very nice. Then we got an updated review from Thoughtweiler, who I believe reviewed us once before. Uh, but now it's a five-star rating, and subject line is, it's okay. And then the uh, the description is, it's okay. So we love wow. that. Yeah. Um, and then I can't remember, did we do Rich or Man? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Five stars. The best, and let's be honest, the only podcast for Pac-12 fans. I listen to a lot, like a lot, of football podcasts. I mean, I even listen to a bunch of Australian Rules football podcasts. This one is like my fourth favorite. Okay, maybe seventh if you include the Aussies. As a Colorado fan, I might be tempted to be skeptical of homers for USC and UCLA, 
But these guys are generally neutral as to teams in the Pac-12 and are interested in the conference as a whole and not their parochial interest. I'm just waiting for them to come through on their promise to give each subscriber a Pac-12 Pez dispenser. That will be an epic day. Nice. Well, thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all for your reviews. Those are those are great, especially the first two. I mean, the last one was great, too. But the first two where how perfect is that? In the subject, you say this is a four star podcast. Completely fair. But you leave us five stars like that is awesome. And then perfect. just to say it's OK, but still leave five stars. We love that stuff. That's exactly that's what we, we want. That's all, yeah. that's all the, that's all we're asking for. Yeah. Um, well, we got a lot of stuff to get to. I put a lot of notes in there uh, real quick. Uh, your favorite Tyler Shuck, he's going to Texas Tech, so we won't have to talk about his pronunciation of his name in the Pac-12 any longer. Happy trails. Yeah. Tyler. We mentioned him last last week, so I thought I'd, I'd bring that up. But the, the main one today Tyler and – show. <laughs> Tyler show. So, yeah, we can do that all. Uh, wait, does Texas – oh, no, it's uh, Oregon State was playing um, Oklahoma so, State. So you're saying the other shoe dropped? <laughs> the other shoe – that dropped. I was thinking uh, he could have played against Oregon State, but they are, Oregon State's playing Oklahoma State, I believe, not Texas Tech. So mm-hmm. uh, I haven't looked at Texas Tech's schedule, but I don't think they're playing the Pac-12 anytime soon that I remember. He's shuffling off to Texas Tech. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, let's shuffle off uh, the Tyler Shuff, uh show or whatever you want to say. Um, the main kind of thing today, David, people ask about this all the time, the Pac-12 schedule. I think I'd reported something, talked about it. You know, probably coming out late uh, February. I think uh, John Wilner was reporting something similar. They said, you know, maybe March 1st would be like the the latest. Uh, then he just put an update this week. Uh, I believe it was Tuesday. I don't know. But the, he put an update this week that it's now going to be longer. There's, you know, usually you have to, they come up with a schedule. They'll send it out to the different campuses. They'll come back with notes. Apparently the campuses haven't got the initial schedule yet. And now it's looking like it could be, you know, beginning mid-March. Um, just for reference, both the a- the SEC and the ACC came out with their schedules in January, and both the Big Ten and Big Twelve finalized their schedules, you know, a couple weeks ago, early February. So, Pac-12. I don't know if you find this concerning. I'm guessing you're not, but Pac-12, the only Power Five uh, conference that has not come out with their schedule yet, and it's probably not coming out for a couple more weeks uh, at least. I mean, aside from us, like, content fiends, who gives a shit? Like, I mean, who cares? Uh, <laughs> it, it could come out in June. Does it really matter? Are people, like, booking travel for the away games this early for a conference game? Well, I mean, that's that's one of the concerns. But, you know, just no, knowing. they're not. Nobody, so for, like, a conference game, you don't really. I mean, it's for the non-cons where it's a big non-con that your school hasn't done in a while. You might want to book that months in advance. But. I mean, I think for TV stuff, I mean, when was the last time a Pac-12 game got picked up that far in advance anyway? Yeah, Um, that's true. I mean, I see it. I would like to schedule out. It just makes sense. Like, you could come out with a schedule in June. But there are rivalry games. There's games that you want to know when they're going to be because you're going to travel, you know, the weekender stuff. That... So anticipate it for another three months. What's the big deal? <laughs> All right. Well, I would, I would like to see if you're, you know, your peer group for, you know, there's five of you and four of you have done something. I and... know. I know you're a big jump off the bridge because all your friends are doing it. And then the bridge in this instance is something like that doesn't really matter. And it's not actually a bridge. 
I mean, obviously, it'd be better if they just did it so that we would all know in advance so we could all publish our little stories about it. I'm just saying it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah. I, I, Look, Wilner's starving for content, too. It was either publish the Pac-12 schedule or write about why they haven't published the Pac-12 <laughs> schedule. What the hell else is he going to write about? I get that. I mean, we all need to generate content here in February, but end of the day, does it really matter? Yeah, maybe it's good for us that the, the log we can talk about it longer. Hey, we just talked the, about it for five minutes. We're good. I mean, we we just got a top of the show topic. It's great. Now, yeah. did I did I completely torpedo it? As is my you know general nature. Yeah, sure. But we yeah. talked about it. When I say something, I think this is really important. It was like that doesn't matter. But I I knew like when I was throwing it to you, I'm like I don't think you're gonna care about this. But you know, I I care about it. But Dave, I I didn't think you would. Well, in our extensive pre-show meeting, you know, we did like kind of chart out and block out um, how we were going to discuss this. So, you know, just taking them behind the curtain. Like, we we blocked this out. We rehearsed this actually. I really just have to anticipate like what you're going to do. I'll throw out a bunch of topics there, and I could put this is important. This is going to be the subject of the whole show today, and Dave will be like, "That doesn't matter. Move on." Oftentimes, like, it's okay. the first time ever that I'm either reading or hearing of it. Yes. Um, all right. So we we talked about that. Have you seen this uh, California uh, proposed bill, AB 609? Uh, John Wilner wrote about it, I think, initially. The College Athlete Race and Gender Equity Act. Uh, I think it's the same guy. It's a UCLA guy, I believe, that was behind one of the other things that let him play or something like that, where they the, the demands like the Pac-12 players made that like only some players signed initially and all the schools weren't on board, but it was supposed to be like a whole Pac-12 thing. If you remember that kind of mess that sort of fell apart, but I think it's the same people behind this one. But have you, you read about it? You are a political expert. Maybe you know more about this. No, I'm not. So I read about it. Um, it just on the face of it, it sounds like something that's going to go absolutely nowhere. And it's just, again, just something to get all hubbubby about. Uh, but I can't imagine this goes anywhere. It's way too extreme. There's going to be powerful interests that are going to be opposed to it. Um, very specifically, I thought one of the very crazy parts about it was that it was going to, um, if, if the summary I was reading is correct, it's going to limit the ability of schools to actually even build facilities for athletics, yes. um, which uh, I guess in like a, uh, a, a better world, that would be something and we wouldn't be investing so much money in college athletics if we weren't giving it to the players themselves. Um, but in the reality of it, uh, these are huge revenue draws for the state, for for the University of California, which is a huge employer in the state. Um, so they can't, it's just not going to get off the ground. There's just no way they're going to be able to make that kind of a sweeping change. I think they can take elements of this, pushing money towards the players more and being more extreme than whatever the federal law ends up being, fine. Uh, but I don't think they're going to be able to limit the university's abilities to build on their own campus. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to get off the ground as it's currently written. Yeah, and it's, it's similar to the other, you know, that the other movement. It was just like, there's some good parts to it, but it was just so extreme. It's like, this is never going to work. And it's almost like you turn people off by making it, and if, the way I read it, it was going to be like a, you had to divide up the the profits from revenue sports, right? Or from sports that make money. So if you're a football player or a basketball player, they would divide it up. And I believe it was equally. So like if you're a third string offensive lineman that never plays, um, I think one of the estimates Wilner put in there for it might have been for Washington, like players are going to make over 100000 a year. 
So like you're like a you know some offensive lineman that never plays, but you're around for five years. You redshirt, you'd make like half a million dollars like on top of your you know room board, all that kind of stuff. But you could be like that UCLA gymnast that makes you know has millions of views on YouTube or whatever, and she would make nothing because the UCLA gymnastics program doesn't make any money. And it just didn't. I mean stuff like that too. You're like. You could have people that are like extremely you know, on the liberal side and they're like, yeah, we want to pay people, but this would even alienate them. They're like, okay, only the, you know, basically only football and some basketball are going to get paid um, and everyone else doesn't. And that, to me, there's just so many things wrong with it, just from what I've read. I haven't, you know, obviously dug in it too deep, but some of the stuff was just kind of you know, just way extreme, like you said. Yeah. And well, I mean, I'm, I'm all right. You know, if you've got a point of view, start at the extreme ask and compromise in. Um, you know, cause I think the spirit, the spirit of it sounds generally good. I just think in the process of, um, fulfilling the spirit, you'll actually destroy the thing that is, um, providing the money because end of the day, if you don't allow the schools to keep up in the quote unquote arms race, at least to some certain extent, um, I mean, I, we've always joked about it, but I don't think like. UCLA and Berkeley would continue on with that forever. I think they would just simply say, okay, well, we're done with major college athletics then. Because yeah. it is a significant part of their revenue, but it's also not going to be worth the expense if they're not able to even compete. So um, anyway, I, I, I don't think it's going to get off the ground um, if any of that. I mean, I, I haven't read the actual bill, so I'm just kind of talking um, based off the summary I read. Um, but I don't think it can get off the ground in that way just because there's going to be too many powerful interests that are opposed to it. Um, but it, a lot of it is like, yeah, I mean, give more money to the kids, give more money to the people actually participating in the sport. I'm all for that. Um, it just probably can't take this form if you're actually wanting to maintain it as a source of income for, you know, because the thing is college athletics can be in an idealized form uh, can be a great source for equity. It can be a great source for opportunity. All that good, lovely stuff that we all would love college athletics to be. Um, it just somewhat functions not even close to that now, and there's ways to make that better. I don't think this is the way. Yeah. I think the way is taking the abundant TV revenue and splitting it more fairly between the the players and the school itself. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, it's just a bill that was introduced and don't think it's going to go anywhere, but just uh, be aware of that out there. I know Dave loves the spring. Um, mm. Arizona State, they announced their spring football schedule. So they're going to do, if you remember, they started in, you know, they'd already started. I mean, they would almost be done last year. Um, the team's going to practice four days a week from March 3rd to March 27th. So actually coming up pretty quickly. They will be closed to the public because of uh, COVID and they'll have more details coming up soon, but I haven't, I could have missed it. I haven't seen other spring football schedules released yet. I know USC has told us they're probably going to start in early April. I don't know, uh, but I, I don't recall seeing other programs putting that out there, but we know ASU's most of their schedule as of now. Yeah. We haven't heard anything about UCLA. Um, we've started writing our spring previews just because last year they did not give us a ton of notice when they actually started. It was like a week in advance. Um, so uh, we're prepared for any time, but realistically with the way spring break is, um, if they don't announce something pretty soon, we're guessing it's probably going to be April. Yeah. 
Uh, but if we miss something, you know, j- definitely drop us an email podcast at the, I mean, pack 12 podcast at gmail.com and let us know, uh, this was interesting. It came, I saw this today. I don't know if you saw this yet, David. So Washington has come up with their, uh, name, le- image and likeness, um, initiative. So it's called boundless futures. And what they say, they call it a comprehensive personal professional and leadership development program for student athletes at the university of Washington will soon encompass programming designed to help student-athletes seize opportunities created by the upcoming NLI legislation. So they're actually partnering up with the Foster Business School, which is Washington's business school, and they plan on utilizing, you know, the Seattle market, you know, like I'm sure like the LA schools would, you know, utilize the Los Angeles market. It's the number 11 media market in the country. It's also, I think, the second uh, most popular tech hub, you know, Amazon and Microsoft and stuff like that up there. Uh, Washington uh, will also be investing in a partnership with Open Doors, D-O-R-S-E, a national leader in athlete market solutions to help Washington athletes, student athletes, build and amplify their personal brand. So saw some stuff from USC on this. Uh, I think some other you know schools have, but Washington just kind of came out with theirs. Kind of help with recruiting. We don't know what the le- legislation is going to be. Uh, any surprises there? Or you, you expect pretty much every school to come out with something like this? I would guess so. I mean, I think you're missing an opportunity um, if you don't. And I think this is something that Washington can use right now in recruiting. Uh, they can say, we've already got this set up. So when this finally is done and you're, you know, we're, we're able to find you additional money opportunities, this infrastructure is already in place. I think it's, you know, that shows a lot of foresight from Washington. I'm sure it's in the works at other places, but for them to, you know, kind of have it be out already is, uh, you know, I think that's them being at the forefront of this. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think it's recruiting, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we heard from, you know, covering USC recruiting this past cycle, a lot of the players talked about all this NIL stuff and they're, you know, putting these videos out, this, you know, BLVD studios and all this stuff. And they're really kind of putting that in the kids' heads. Like, Hey man, you can build your brand in Los Angeles and make money and all, you know, all this stuff. So, uh, same sort of thing. I mean, you got every program. We talked about this before, whatever the program is, you want to like accentuate the positives of where you are. Right. And, you know, Seattle's a big market. Like I said, all the tech stuff there, you know, that's the Pac-12 network. They moved to San Francisco just so they could be near a, uh, a cable company. I mean, you could talk about all these things. Like, here's what's positive about where we are. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I think that's going to help. I think it's going to help with recruiting for sure. Um, it'll yeah, be interesting I, to see I, where I all these go. Like, when UCLA starts recruiting in November, um, I think <laughs> uh, I, I think they'll probably pitch the same angle. Um, that's a little joke. A little, a little kidding. Just a little <laughs> gentle ribbing. <laughs> Speaking of UCLA – um, since we're homers for the LA schools, they announced on Wednesday future home dates with uh, historical black colleges and universities. Uh, Alabama State will be on the schedule in the Rose Bowl in 2022. So that's next football season. And North Carolina Central in 2023. Mm-hmm. Want to get your thoughts on this? So the interesting thing is a couple years ago, USC had scheduled UC Davis and they had never scheduled an FCS program before and UCLA had never scheduled an FCS program and Notre Dame had never, and they did. And then when the new administration came in, there was a lot of fans that were upset about it. The new administration came in, 
got rid of that game and they scheduled, they have San Jose state coming in uh, to the Coliseum next year, which actually San Jose state was really good in 2020. Um, but so they, so they could keep that streak going of never of playing an FCS school. And then like the very next year, UCLA schedules a couple of them, but there's strategery, right? Like playing uh, an HBCU. But what are your thoughts on UCLA scheduling these games? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think it's pretty profound to give up that um, kind of, uh, I don't know, legacy or whatever. Um, but if you're going to do it, this is 100% the way to do it. Um, you know, elevate the HBCUs, um, give them some money, uh, you know, in a show game. Get those bands out to UCLA. That's the, out to the Rose Bowl. That's going to be super cool. Um, so, as far as uh, if you're going to play an FCS team, this is, I mean, this is the great way to break that streak. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't know where my thoughts are on FCS, like breaking that and and just playing an FCS generally. Um, I don't know if this was partly or in any way due to just scheduling issues with those two years. Um, in terms of just finding people on shortish notice, um, cause that's just, you know, two seasons from now. Um, but I, you know, I've kind of gone over it in my head and I think it's just generally nets out is pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I think playing UC Davis or playing like, I don't know, Idaho or something, um, it wouldn't, it, it would just be, you're obviously just doing that to get a win. Uh, this at least I think you're doing it to get a win. I think that's definitely a part of it. Um, but you're also, you know fulfilling a larger thing too. I mean, you're doing something that's pretty cool um, and give uh, kind of a different experience and different feel to it. So yeah, I think it's cool. Um, and there's going to be no backing out of these ones um, too much no. fanfare about it already. And also um, scheduled two of them. So I, I think this is going to be full ahead go. So it'll be just UNC, USC and uh, Notre Dame going forward with the uh, no FCS. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you want to keep the tradition, uh, the legacy, whatever you want to call it. I get it. Like that makes sense. But if you're going to break it, I agree with you. Like this is the way to do it. Scheduling UC Davis, USC just did that because they came up with some formula where they didn't want to like, they wanted seven home games every year. And the only way to do that is to schedule, you know, only home teams because they have Notre Dame on the schedule. And and so it, it just didn't make a lot of sense uh, what they were doing. And they just, they just put it in there for their own, like they just made their own, like, criteria up and then and brought that in and that, they got rid of it which is great uh the new administration got rid of it but if you were going to break the streak you do it scheduling a game like that like alabama state and having the bands uh in the rose bowl i think there's going to be a lot of fanfare um you know Deion sanders you know at, like, there's just been a lot of you know uh hbcu publicity out there and people getting behind it and this is a you know this is an interesting move. It's uh, I think it's a bold uh, sort of move. I, what has the fans been mixed on it? Are they positive? Like, what would you say? I, would, that you uh, I did kind of a temperature test on the board earlier, and I would say probably a good seventy five percent positive. Oh, cool. I would say like of that, probably a good half of them are just comp- completely unabashedly positive. I think the other half are kind of taking my tone, which is yeah. I mean, it's kind of you know giving up the FCS thing, but it's also this is totally the way to do it if you're going to do it. Um, and then, yeah, I think there's a good chunk of them who are still like, well, no, they shouldn't have done this. They should have just stuck with uh, FBS forever. Um, and I, I mean, I get it. Um, I get the, you know, having pride in that, uh, you know, kind of obscure thing. Um, 
you know, because it's one of a uh, few things where UCLA is just up there with, you know, I mean, UCLA is historically a good football program, but it's up there with two of the true, you know, blue bloods in the sport as the only ones who have not done it. So I think it's a source of pride for, I, I think, fans of all different, uh, of all Notre Dame, USC, and UCLA, but I think in particular UCLA. Um, so I, I think that plays into it. Um, but I would say it's probably 75-25. I think most people are pretty supportive of it. Yeah, it's funny. When, when USC did that with UC Davis, there were some fans that were like, so what? It doesn't matter. They didn't really care about the streak. But I, I, that was probably about 25%. And the, the majority, I think, cared about the streak. But if it was for a game like this, I think there, you'd have more people supporting it. And who knows? Maybe Notre Dame and USC down the road would follow suit and, and schedule an HBCU um, at some Yeah, point. this might have been kind of the thing that uh, breaks that uh, barrier or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I think if this had been scheduling UC Davis, I think the, the numbers probably would have been more or less flipped. Um, I, don't, I don't think UCLA <laughs> fans would have been super supportive of that. But, yeah. For this, I think they, I mean, everybody wants to see those bands in the Rose Bowl. Take all the other stuff out of it. Everybody wants to see those bands in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. That'll be, it'll definitely be something that gets a lot of television attention and things like that. So, uh, all right. And plus, has Chip Kelly won an out of conference game yet? So, this is a good yeah, no, they, they got to take those wins where they can get them. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back. We got a lot of questions. So, we'll uh, do our best to get through them. Back in a minute. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Hey, we're back on the podcast of champions. David, you're running back to your, your microphone here. Yeah, absolutely. He's just going, he has to go to run out, take a leak and stuff real quick. Um, all right. Like I said, we got a lot of questions and the first one might take a little bit of a, t- a little bit of time. Uh, this is from Naystar. Uh, I believe this is the first one, Dave best, uh, pack 10 slash pack 12 teams. And he says from 2000 to 2020 rank. All of the Pac-10, Pac-12 champions from best to worst. Okay. It's a tough mean, to rank them all, but we can... I was I was looking at the list. All right, let me pull it up. Hang on. Okay. I think like the... I've got it. All right. Yeah. Uh, so starting in 2000? 2000. Um, I mean, that year oh. there was three of... Three teams shared the conference. Uh, you know, I don't know about... But they all won their big... Like that year, Washington won the Rose Bowl. Oregon won the Holiday Bowl. And Oregon State won the Fiesta Bowl. That Oregon State team was pretty badass. Um, yeah. Those were all like top 10 teams, right? So that was pretty good. I think the Oregon 2010 team has to be up there when they lost in the to Auburn by three points. Um, you know, the, the 2003, 4, 5 USC teams are probably going to be up there. Yeah, 2004, uh, I think, is probably going to take the cake as the number one. And then I think 2005 will be number two. Um, and there's a chance 2002 will be number three. Yeah. Um, 
2002 being the team that by the end of the season, everyone acknowledged was probably the best team in the country. Yeah, they beat Iowa in the uh, that pants, twi- them. pants them. Yeah, in the, the whatever bowl. The, the 2007 team was pretty good. They lost a couple of Pac-12 games and they tied with Arizona State, but they finished number that two. One, that one I would knock back a little bit. Um, they were good. They weren't great. Um, they finished number two in the country. I think they beat the crap out of Illinois. That yeah, year, don't but. go by that. Like we're not going by AP polls. Come on, get out of here with that shit. Okay. Or no, they well, were number 2007, three. 2007 was fine. Um, that yeah. was a Rose Bowl winning team, but they weren't great. Okay. Uh, 2008 was a better team. Um, like 2008, I think would have a stronger arc. Yeah, uh, they actually they finished number three and they they beat Penn State. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of, man, there was a lot of them. I cover this team. You forget. No, but that's but, the thing is like it, when you've got the string of dominance USC had in the middle of that um, decade, uh, they're going to be pretty prominently up at the top. I think so. All right, so the Oregon teams. Let's just let's just rank those real quick. Um, 2010 would probably be the best, right? Let me pull it up. Um, I'm going to pull it up by SRS just so we have some kind of rubric and then we can deviate from it where we feel is right. Okay, so um, 2012 was the best. Um, 2010 was third. So it went 2012, 2014, 2010, 2013 um, from SRS's perspective. 2012, Stanford won the the conference, though. Yeah, but that was a really good Stanford team, and it was a really good Oregon team. Um, 2014, Oregon. the Oregon team was really good too. Uh, they won. They they beat Florida State 59 to 20, and then they lost to Ohio State. Uh, yeah, Helfrich's team was pretty good, but I, I just kind of like the Chip Kelly teams better. Yeah, I think if you're stacking it up, I would say okay. So I would say um, 2004 USC is the clear number one. Uh, 2005 uh, USC is a pretty clear number two. And then after that, I get because. All right. So we got a split title in 2002. But by the end of the year, USC was probably better. But it's a split title. Can they really be that dominant? Yeah, I would. I fear it's a split title. And yeah. So I don't know. Um, But I would say clear number one and number two are 2004 USC and then 2005 USC. Where are you going to go? And then I might go Oregon 2014. So you think 2014 is better than 2010 like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're I mean, right. you're talking about basically the same thing. Oregon made it to CFP that year too. Yeah, that was, well, they, there was the beast. That was the final BCS, right? Yeah. But that was um, like, that was wasn't the, the final. No, it wasn't the final. No, no, no. That was the first year of the college football championship um, playoff. Um, okay. 2014, that was, you know, Marcus Mariota, peak of his powers. Um, that, that team was really good. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So non-USC in Oregon, because I think we've kind of, I don't think we're going to do like a full 20-year ranking here. No, no, we're not. Yeah. Is there, like, so I like the, the, the Oregon State team from 2000. Uh, I mean, Washington was ranked ahead of them at the end. They beat Purdue in the Rose Bowl. But the fact that they just walloped Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, I mean, that was a that was a Dennis Erickson team that was like really freaking good. They were good. I, I don't think I can put any Oregon State team that far up there. And that's no knock on Oregon State. It's just even when they're really good, it's like um, it's it's I mean, it's not completely, but it's a, a product of some luck um, like that team, that, that 2000 team in terms of SRS, it would rank behind like, I don't know, for example, an obviously flawed 2015 Stanford team. Yeah. Um, 
So I don't know. I mean, I, I think you, they're definitely in the middle there because there have been some undeserving champions. Um, but I don't think they're I don't think they're up near the top. Should we do like the we'll just do the bottom couple like the worst. So the worst is probably Oregon any of the recent three. Any of the recent <laughs> well, Oregon twenty twenty finished three and three, right? Or, yeah, or, I mean that's that... obviously the worst one. But pandemic shortened the whole deal. Um, I would say Oregon. Uh, Wait, there were four. Were they four and three? They, their overall record? Yeah, I think they were four and three, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Oregon twenty nineteen wasn't any great shakes. Um, I mean, they, they're they're down there for sure. Um, they did. They won the Rose Bowl though. They did, um, but they weren't like a dominant team during the year. Um, Washington's twenty sixteen was pretty good. Um, They're probably middle of the pack. Um, The other one, when did they win it again? Twenty eighteen. They won in twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen was not good. Like they should not have been. they should not have been the conference winner. Let me see where they are. 2018 might be the worst, actually. Yeah. Okay. 20, 2018 Washington, uh, like in SRS, is an 11.42, which is like typically that'll net you like an eight and four record. Um, they just got a little bit lucky. Gotcha. So I would say 2018 Washington was probably the worst one of, okay. uh, of the 2000s. All right. Well, hopefully that's the, I mean, it's a short question. That was a long answer, but yeah, definitive, definitive final answer. Washington 2018 was your worst Pac-12 champion in the last 20 years. USC 2004 was your best. All right. Yeah. Oregon, uh, Washington fans are going to hate that considering what Oregon did last year, but you know, and, and the fact that Washington actually won the division. So. I don't, I, I can't really count the the stupid pandemic shortened year. You okay. know, All right. it's just hard, right? Yeah. No, I get you. I mean, if we're counting it, then yes, they're the worst. But if we're not counting it, which I think is probably right, uh, it's Washington 2018. Oh. Oh, okay, man. we ready? I, Move uh, on. I think so. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for a walk around the block while you read chains, and I'll, oh, I'll come back. Oh, oh boy, you timed it <laughs> perfectly. <laughs> All right. I do want to talk at the beginning so that you can talk some more in the questions. The postseason top 10 rankings. Here it is the official Kevin M. Hogan Podcast of Champions postseason top 10 list. A couple things to keep in mind before we get to the rankings. My system reflects in season performance, but because of the shortened season, some projection weighting is still included. Here are the rankings. Others receiving votes. Ryan. Shame. Okay, now, now on the top 10. Uh, 10, Evan, the stony guy who calls your voicemail and is disappointed that Herm went 7 and 5. Just so everybody here is on the same page and nobody accidentally becomes an ASU fan like Evan did, ASU will go 7 and 5 next year. ASU will always go 7-5. and five. The only thing more 7-5 and five than ASU is NC State. Those two teams played in the Sun Bowl a couple years ago, and it was the most 7-5 and five thing that ever happened. Both teams were okay. I'm sure the game itself was okay. It was sponsored by either Hyundai or Frosted Flakes. These are, of course, the NC State and ASU of consumer products. Both are completely 100% okay. Like most ASU students, Evan will revert to being a USC fan when he goes home to California, but enjoy the bong rips and the scenery while you're there, and please keep calling the voicemail. You're great. Nine, Dave's bye. It's comforting. It's frightening. It's too loud and too quiet. It's new and exciting, but somehow always the same. And when there was one set of footprints, it was carrying us. <laughs> uh, uh, eight, James, the Cal fan who claimed if not for, quote, the Rona, 
they would have maybe won the North because they lost on fluky special teams play to Oregon State, lost on a special teams play to Stanford, and weren't ready for UCLA. Look, I love this, James. I knew you were a contender as soon as your email started. You know I'm a fan of overzealous Cal football predictions, but dude, Arizona might have won the South too if only they'd been a better football team. James picked his moment, and he performed when the lights came on this year. Seven, Thomas. Tom, Mr. TPSM. Tom gets a ton of credit for running the Reddit or whatever. He's got elite talent all over the field, but once or twice a season, he'll take an inexplicable L like he's Washington football. The Comcast wiring email was behind him, and he was creeping back up to the top of the rankings. But, quote, UCLA hurts their football brand by having alumni everywhere on earth ends the season on a sour note for Tom. With tons of talent returning and a new commissioner to buddy up with, Thomas could have a transformational 2021. Six, Hifliday, Rusty Fence. This sentient weirdo is so influential that he recently convinced Chris and Soul to write an email subject line in German. <laughs> Numbers break down on Hifliday's performance this year. Two dozen people listen to this podcast. One dozen people write on emails. Only one person writes emails referencing specific timestamps from episodes in 2018 complaining about how you didn't answer their question adequately. What do you guys think Hithliday does for a living? Have we talked about this? Do you think his work knows he's using their payroll time and computers to make charts and graphs about amateur football? <laughs> uh, five, Angie Machado. She does something on the internet called a beaver blitz, and dozens of men subscribe for the premium content. Seriously, she rules and is great at her job and runs circles around, the most, uh, around most publishers. She called the voicemail once this season, half as many times as Stoney Evan, and it catapulted her into the top five. Respect, always. Four, the guy who we think is the Zodiac Killer? This heavy breather rode in during the preseason, claiming if Stanford won four games, you'd have to sing All Right Now by Free. Then he connected two... <laughs> then he connected two, <laughs> two soup cans with string, <laughs> laid, under, <laughs> laid under a heavy blanket while wearing, an S, uh, wearing a scuba mask, and left multiple voicemails mumbly petitioning you guys to celebrate a team that finished third, third in the North in the oddest way imaginable, to say nothing of his indecipherable 14th century poetry from a couple weeks ago. Look, I've never been into the true crime pro podcast genre, but consider me a convert. Thanks, I guess. <laughs> uh, three, Jay, Green's, Jay Green Words Fellow, the four-star reviewer and novelist who wants your lefty politics left out of his po football podcast. Uh, that was from last week, I think. Last, right? last week. He yeah. was already at number three. Uh, a late arrival on the scene, but this man is a star. Conservative man who prefaces all forthcoming nonsense by giving himself credit for representing, quote, about half of the population. Look, man, I like to just make stuff up, too. That's fun. But your weird old-timey robber baron politics have won one popular vote since 1988 nationally, and you're writing a review for a podcast that reaches fans in California, Washington, Oregon, and Colorado. Somebody who attended Cal probably listens to this podcast. I can guarantee you about half of this audience is not looking for a safe space from universal health care and fair wages. The Democrats ran a carton of melted vanilla ice cream for president this year and were plus 25 points in Pac-12 states. Call it, quote, about half if it makes you feel better. But there's no way you're convincing me that seven of our 14 listeners are conservatives. I'm a commie. Dave's a commie. We're all commies, man. Like I said, one of us probably went to Berkeley. Nice. Ryan, Ryan's not a commie. I'm not a commie. Yeah. Two, Brandon Huffman. My man is so committed to his craft that he went to Alaska in the winter on purpose. <laughs> this was probably Alaska's best sporting moment since Trajan Langdon, the movie Snow Dogs. 
The fact that Brandon can pull the depth charts of every CIF team from 2008 while you guys can't remember what you said earlier in the hour on your own podcast is testament to something. Also, freestyling Grant (laughs) Grant Gonnell was a dad joke Hall of Fame moment. 2-0 regular season, top three finish for Huffman. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, Number one, Bree the intern. 1-0, undefeated, untied, unchallenged. Tip one out for our favorite one-time amateur hurdler. The people's champ from now until forever. Our numbers had her at number one in the preseason, and nobody did anything to dethrone her during the regular season. I'll hit snooze again until August, unless we're asked to compare Pac-12 programs to salad dressings or something. Until then, keep up the work. Your friend and compatriot, Shane. <sighs> Shane's brilliant. Um, I, get, I haven't talked to Bree for a while. I should send her a text be like, dude, you're still really popular on the podcast. We need to have you. <laughs> there, unfortunately, People are so desperate to hear somebody other than us on this yeah. show. They're, unfortunately, they're in season now, so she's, you know, she's doing her, what was it, the high hurdles, or was it the triple, no, yeah, I think it was, I think she was a hurdle. He literally right? just said hurdles, so I'm going to go with what Shane said and say <laughs> it was hurdles. The fact that he would remember, and I don't, yeah, it was. I think it was hurdles, yeah. Um, awesome stuff, Shane, appreciate that. This one is from Webfoot, uh, we call him Paul. Which tight end coaches are the best recruiters of hidden talent in the greater Kansas City metro area is the subject. Hello, champions. This email has nothing to do with tight end coaches or recruiting. You're welcome. I've always enjoyed you guys being forced to compare the pack tw- the PAC's head coaches to Disney princesses, alcohol, Civil War generals, superheroes, and now even delicious barbecue. It made me smile when you simultaneously announced that crystal ball was brisket. So here's another for you. It's a bit of a journey. So I apologize to any listeners who were still listening to this offseason pod for real football talk. We've had a lot of real football talk. And yeah, no. um so we'll go a little off, off, uh, off-roading. So as a last, as a last-ditch effort to leave a lasting impact on the conference, Larry Scott messes with forces he doesn't understand and accidentally renders the western third of the United States uninhabitable. Well, you're giving Larry Scott a lot of uh, power here. Champagne, Larry. Oh, hold on, we haven't played anything yet. The truth is, we all know Champagne, Larry likes to roll large, right? <laughs> then decides this would be the perfect catalyst to expand his international outreach plan. So he forces each team to relocate to a different country because he clearly only listens to bad advice. He then entrusts that David Woods, Ryan Abraham, and any intern or special guest you may have lying around to choose which country each coach is assigned to based on their coaching persona. Never scared of a challenge or extra work for no extra pay. You two graciously accept the task. Which coach do you send to which country? I tolerate the pod. Keep up the moderate work uh, for Webfoot. Wow. Okay. Okay. Now we have to do countries? Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's start in the Arizonas. <laughs> All right. Arizona okay. State. Herm Edwards. Disciplined. Ramrod straight. Germany? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. No, and not even Germany. He's Prussian. He is <laughs> Prussian to the core. He is okay. old Prussian, which is un- like mostly Poland and, and Russia now, but he is Prussian. Okay. Um, okay. We've got Herm's taken care of. That's easy. Um, all right. Jed Fish. <sighs> Amsterdam. <laughs> we're just assuming Jed Fish gets high, right? I, I don't know. It just seems kind of fun. Like, it's going to be like... All right, so he's going to the Netherlands. Okay. okay. Jed Fish, you're going to the Netherlands. Yeah. All right, Kyle Whittingham is... Uh, I'm going Finland. 
I would say, yeah, one of the Scandinavian ones. I'll go I'm, Finland for a very specific reason. Um, Finland in 1940 in the Winter War uh, fought off a much bigger country with a lot more resources with a bunch of dudes on skis. Russia's, right? Was that Russia? Yeah. Russia? And what does Utah football do all the time? Ski? They fend off larger people with their snowy country. You know, go with me, okay? They're, they're, I, they're, that's that's Finland. I'm, I'm in on Finland. Like if you, yeah, I think, yeah, Finland's like tougher than Sweden. And I think Utah's tougher. So I would go one of those Scandinavian ones, but I like that. All right. Carl- Colorado could be, maybe Colorado's Sweden. Mm. Mm. it's kind of more like it's not as like gritty as utah it's more of like a it's like in the same area fits carl durrell oh yeah because we're doing the coaches not uh no it's carl durrell like all right so like look at carl durrell's career he he failed initially he's getting a second chance at you know being a big deal i think i know where you're going with this i I don't know where i'm going with this france I'm talking it through. Ooh. Ooh. But the thing is, like, France had a storied history back as a monarchy, but th- could that be Carl Durrell's storied history as a player at UCLA? That, I think we could go with that. And then he struggled, you know, a little bit uh, in 1940. It might have uh, a little too much history, but I still, that's... I whatever. Mean, right, Carl Durrell's France. Carl okay. Durrell's France. Um, okay. All right. Now we're moving. Now we're moving to the coast. Now we're moving to, to the coastal schools. All right. Let's start. Let's start at the bottom. Well, no, let's start at the top. We'll, we'll start with uh, the Washington schools. All right. We got, we got, um, we got Jimmy Lake. I just don't know if enough. Uh... I, I, again, we had a trouble with barbecue with him, and I got, a tru- I got trouble here. I just don't know enough. So what countries do I not know a lot about? Um, Suriname. That's... Suriname. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so, but that's, it's not been around that long, right? Like, is that why? I don't know much about him. Yeah. Okay. Is her name even a country, or is that still a territory? That's a I, <laughs> yeah, her name's a, it's a country. It's, a, it's on the northeastern Atlantic coast of South America. Okay. okay. Great. Um, all right. Then we've got Nick Rolovich. Ooh, okay. Okay, so you've got somebody who's crazy, like a little bit crazy. Um, is, uh, you know, he's got a little island to him, you know? He's, he likes to party. He likes to hang out. Um, you know what? You know what Nick Rolovich is? What? He's Portugal. I think Portugal's good. I was thinking like. But he's like hanging out in the Azores, Portugal. Okay. I, I was thinking like an Argentina or Peru or something, but sure. I could go. Sure, 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 sure. I'm being very Eurocentric. So, yeah. I mean, that's just my historical background here. No, um, but you, that's good too. Like, um, yeah. I mean, I love Argentina. let's go Argentina. You want Argentina? Like he's yeah. a little Buenos yeah. Aires kind of. I love, I love it. Little Buenos Aires flair. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Jonathan Smith is the most, is Canada. I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Then <laughs> um, you've got Mario Cristobal. So this one, all right. So you got a big dude. Um, Brazil? <sighs> I don't want to lean into the like, you know, Latin thing here because that's too easy right we okay. want to be a little, i think it's like a it's like a big bold fun like i i was thinking more of that than the yeah, yeah no, i get it I, and that might be the way to go i'm just trying to think like 
what is just like big and like really persuasive and like I don't know. Like Italy? Yeah, kinda, right? Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I think Mario Cristobal, he's he's Italy. And we don't stereotype the that just because of Mario being the name of Super Mario. Um <laughs> I didn't even think about that. So we uh, try no. to not be stereotypical and we end up being stereotypical. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, <laughs> Zipley. Um, all right. David Shaw. Um, Ooh. Intellectual. Swiss- Switzerland or like. Ooh. Neutral. But power. Like yeah. power football, um, you know, just overwhelm you with um, size and strength. David Shaw is the Russian bear to me. Ooh. It's yeah. just the pure size. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I was thinking England, like just for power, like, you know, it wasn't like the size, but just like the, you know, the Navy and all that stuff. But I think Russia's good. I think that he'd be well, good for Russia. And he's the Russian bear and also that he's in decline rapidly in, oh. major, uh, <laughs> in you know, recent historical time. Um, okay. All right. Then we got Justin Wilcox. Mm, okay. So... Hmm. I know Spain came to mind for some reason. I don't know if that fits, but just sort of like it's sort of I don't know, just there's like a fun vibe to it. Um Yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah, but it's not like a young country, but I just I feel like if you're talking about like France and you know, Spain is more of that like, you know, ink's not as stuffy as England. It's just sort of like there's a little looser feel to it, but well, there's probably better fits. So y- I think Japan has a defense force, but may not have an offensive army anymore. <laughs> oh, yes. I think. So I think they've just got police, but no offensive army. I, I could be wrong, but I, I remember reading something like that. So I'm going to go Justin Wilcox's Japan. I like, I, and my apologies to any of our, uh, you know, for our Asian uh, friends. I even, wasn't even thinking like, a, a, well, I think we've come up with some good ones, but yeah, it's hard to think of the entire world and like, yeah, yeah. Um, map it to back to all coaches. All right. This so, isn't easy people. I think we're doing a pretty good job. This is not yeah. easy. Now we've got Clay Helton and Chip Kelly. So Chip Kelly. Okay. Best years way behind him. Um, completely has, you know, kind of just lost the plot in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of people still think he could come around. Um, is Chip Kelly the United States of America? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Who else is like? Um, well, yeah, the other one—that's I mean, good. I, I, he would be an obvious Spain too. Um, I, I was thinking Spain. Uh, Maybe yeah, not could China, go right, but or, you could UK. You could do any of the declined or completely fallen empires. Um, so I think Spain. I think Britain. Let's I think do the United US. States. I think I think the you, United States is beautiful. I, I think you got it. I think you All got right. that. Clay Helton. Um, <laughs> okay. A boob. <laughs> um, in over his head in the position he's in. Um, Are you going to be insulting to some country here? I, I, it, but it's just tough. I, I'm, I'm having a tough time because it's like he's got such a persona that doesn't really fit any country on the world stage. Um Successful despite itself. Oh, that's a neat angle. Um, man, tough, tough one. That's a, like there's some some Russian aspects to that too, right? Like sort of like 
successful well, yeah. despite its well, that's policies. Oh, 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 oh. Successful primarily because of its resources. Ah. Clay Hilton is Russia. You like that? And then, okay, so the way we want to go. Is David Shaw China? I, I we could we could make that swap. I think that would work. I'll flip him. I'll flip him. Yeah. You know, nice. I think I mean, China's army is still the biggest in the world. Um, David Shaw's is still, you know, the, the play the biggest. I don't know. Go with me there. Um, yeah. Okay. I think we got it. I think we nailed it. Yeah, like the vast resources that, like, you know, Russia doesn't always have like the best game plan. Like, mm-hmm. but they, you know, it's really hard to march from. You know, from Europe all the way to Moscow. So, like, you're well, gonna have to go through winter. Got resources. Yeah, like, that's you know, USC. It's hard to beat the resources, man. Nice. All right. Okay. Well, I think we did pretty good with that. So, send us any other. You know, if you have like, if we skipped something or just had like, you have a way better idea, let us know. We, I'm sure, we'll agree with it. Yeah. Um. All right. This is from uh, Aaron. Next playoff team. Oregon is the back-to-back champs, but flopped in their bowl game. USC is generally considered the team with the most potential year in and year out, but is constantly underwhelming. Question is, which team is the next to make the playoff? Oregon, USC, or the field? Thanks, Aaron. Um, I don't I'll think go Oregon. I'll, yeah, I don't think I'll take the field. I think I'll go Oregon. I think if you were going to go like 10 years out, like you probably take USC just because like all the resources are still there. But I think immediately... The best shot we have uh, in the Pac-12 is probably Oregon right now. Yeah. Thanks for that one. Uh, This one is conference office help with recruiting. Uh, Just a thought. With top-end talent leaving the Pac-12 footprint, do you see the conference office under new leadership trying to make a push to keep athletes in the area? Ideas would be marketing to athletes in the area, promoting name, image, and likeness with the major media markets the schools are located in. Maybe use the Pac-12 network to showcase local high school talent. Or showcase um, recruiting by getting maybe 24-7 uh, personalities to talk recruiting. Uh, with schools located in Silicon Valley in L.A., there has to be a way to market the conference to high-end recruits as a whole. Uh, always just some ideas. And that's sent from Mo's iPhone. Um, I think this is a school thing, Mo, not a conference thing. But what do you think, Dave? Yeah, I would think this is... Um largely a school thing um i think the conference could have some role in it um but for the most part i think it's going to be at the school level um yeah i I would think i mean maybe there's something that the pac-12 could do at like some kind of partnership level um you know synergizing with big tech as uh larry wanted to do um but i think largely it's going to have to be school dependent yeah i that, you know what's interesting when he says, like, showcase uh, local high school talent on the Pac-12 network? I don't know. Like, I haven't seen, like, the SEC network do stuff like that. Um, I don't know if that would keep players home or, what you know, keep players on the West Coast. But that would be interesting if you could. Would that be some kind of unfair advantage recruiting tool if you were doing something like that for the conferences? I don't even know if they're allowed to. That might not even be permitted. I'm not sure. Um, but I think for the most part, you have to basically make the schools as, you know, support the schools as much as you can give them bigger budgets for, you know, more money. So they have bigger budgets for recruiting and let them try to keep these players, you know, home. But 
you, you want the Pac-12 as an advocate, but I just don't, I think they're going to have to be like a support person and not out front where it's like, it's the Pac-12's job to stop the recruiting bleeding that is going to you know, other top programs. How do you stop it? By creating top programs in the conference. Yeah. Agreed. Um, thanks, Mo. All right. This is from our man, Hugh Janus. Uh, mm-hmm. The return of Hugh Janus. Hi, guys. It's your long-lost pal, Hugh Janus, back again after a lot of time off from the POC. I hope you missed me as much as I missed you. Anyway, I recently had a roundtable discussion about all things Pac-12 with my buddies Hugh G. Rection, Ann L. Payne, and Howie Feltersnatch. We came up with some fill-in-the-blank questions for you today. Enjoy. One, blank is the best thing to happen to the conference in the past year. The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Him being gone. Obviously. Two, the Pac-12 Commissioner Search Committee, blank, end up making a good selection. Obvious answer there. May. Yeah, May, Mike, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Three, blank wins the South and blank wins the North in football for 2021. I'll go USC and Oregon again. Sure, fine by me. Four, UCLA needs to win blank games in 2021 for Chip to keep his job. Um, in Three. my ideal world, in my ideal world, 10, uh, in reality, probably seven. I got three. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, six or seven. I mean, do you think he would get fired at six and six? There's a chance. Yeah. I guess the, I mean, to guarantee he's continuing, you might have to go eight or nine. I mean, to but... guarantee it, it's going to have to be like eight and four, but I think seven and five, he'll be pretty comfortable. Yeah. Uh, okay. Five, Gomer Helton needs to win blank games in 2021 to continue as head coach in 2022. Uh, Dave will probably say three, like I said for Chip. Um, I would go, I don't know about games. I think he has to win the Pac-12, like the win the conference title. But I, I'm going to go 10. I'll say 10. Have you seen that schedule? It's pretty easy. There's no way. <laughs> you're, you're saying he can take on the mighty San Jose State Spartans at home? And get out of there with a W. You're talking about San Jose State, led by, I believe, the national coach of the year. Is that right, Brent Brennan? I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying national coach of the year is coming in there, and they're walking out with a W. If they do, it's going to be a hard-fought one where USC loses a bunch of guys. Right? They're going to be scratching, clawing, bleeding after that one, and that's the opener. And you're telling me USC should win ten games. (laughs) <laughs> I think I think Clay Helton is safe as long as he wins four. <laughs> With that kind of schedule, I mean, you're talking about San Jose State. Yeah, Notre they didn't lose Dame, a game last year, right? Didn't BYU. They? You're talking about one independent. You know the in, you're talking about two independents, the two best independents, Notre Dame and BYU. The two best. Um. Oh, they were seven to one. Who did they lose to? Did they lose a bowl game or something? Who? BYU? Oh no, uh, San Jose State. Oh, they lost uh, the they lost a Ball State in the bowl game. Is that well, right? Clearly, they were let down because they weren't playing for the national championship. Yeah, as they should have been because they were obviously very good. So, I mean, frankly, I think if they can if they can get out of the season with a four and eight record, Clay Allen should get an extension. Yeah. Wow, I did, I forgot about that, or maybe that was did I? That's weird. <laughs> Six, 
USC's slimy hiring of the Mobley brothers' dad was... Well, he's already giving us an adjective there. I'd say smart. Yeah, I would say smart, too. I mean, obviously, you're going to have the freshman player of the year. You'll probably have the conference player of the year. And they're set to win their first... Pac-12 conference in like this 30 isn't years even or cheating. Like I don't, I'm, whatever. Hire the guy if you've got such a marginal program that you have to hire somebody's dad to get this kid on the team. And whatever, do it. Um, seven. The new UCLA Nike Jordan deal blank have a tremendous impact on UCLA recruiting. Might. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say you could do <laughs> might again. Uh, should I'll go should. Okay, that's that's uh, fair. Yeah. Eight, blank will be the best quarterback in the conference in 2021. Other Jaden Daniels. You think Daniels? Yeah. Uh, there's. Th- I mean, think about the league. It's like Keaton Slovis, who I thought took a step back this year. Yeah. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who I think is actually was probably top four by the end of the year um, and might be a contender. But, I mean, it's not... Uh, Davis Mills, but he wasn't like sharp last year. Yeah, I think um, uh, no, he he went to the draft. Did he? Yeah, I thought he went to the draft. Did he really? Jesus, I'll go Slovis. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a, there's not as much you know returning talent, um, especially in the north. So yeah, I'll, I'll go Slovis. Yeah. Wow, he did. Yeah. That's crazy. You should um, listen to the podcast of champions. I should, I should remember what we talk about. <laughs> the fact that I remember that is crazy. Okay. Uh, oh, you got a bonus question too? Crap. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, bonus question if you have time. Please rank the current factual football coaches from best to worst in terms of in-game performance, preparation, play, play calling, etc. Not overall in running the program, recruiting PR, staff hires, alumni ball looking, etc. Thanks, okay. as always, for all you do to rep the Pac-12. With love, Hugh Janus, Hugh Direction, Ann L. Payne, and Howie Filter Snatch. Yeah, I don't I don't really want to do this. No, it's we, hard. We already did all the coaching. Like, we're, it's, it's, we're, if we have to list every we, coach we again. We do one of, those, one of those a show. Yeah, that's like, sorry, uh, Hugh, but. Oh, you can read for one from your favorite fella. Oh, we got our buddy Andrew. Um, he, You know, he's showing love to Bud. Uh, was it a. What's his name? Bud Alex. Um, Bud Elliott. Yeah, Bud Elliott. Uh, on you know, twenty four seven sports, sending him like eye charts and stuff, and he's like, Bud likes that stuff. They, you know, they're really into analytics and everything. I'm like, great. So send them to him and stop sending them to me. But he said, <laughs> but, uh, he said, punting rules, gentlemen. It's been a while, too long, and I won't throw uh, any eye charts at you this time. Thanks for that, uh, Andrew. He said for the so the question. Do you guys, who I both see as progressive football minds, who think teams would be better off if they were more aggressive on fourth down, think that there should be a rule change where punting would subtract one point from the punting team score? This is a rule change proposed on a solid verbal podcast that has gotten traction amongst a crowd that is, in my opinion, a bunch of overly snarky numbskulls. Please tell me that neither of you would support such a rule change when trying to uh, legislate optimal decision-making, thereby reduce the reward for the teams and coaches that have the courage to be aggressive naturally. P.S. How cool is it that Stanford ranks dead last in the power five and fourth down decision-making according to a fabulous model developed by uh, Utah fan at Jared D. Lee. So there was a tweet there from Jared. I think they actually ranked who didn't go for it 
the most or, or the, you know, who went yeah, for it the least? UCLA was tops in the Pac-12 and Stanford was the worst. And Stanford of- wasn't quite the worst, but I think Jared like changed it so it took out like end of half kind of things or something like that. And then Stanford was like the worst. Yeah, uh, says, and the thing is, like, Stanford, like, the difference between Stanford and Georgia was, like, the difference, like, and Georgia was, like, fourth to last, is, like, the same difference between Georgia and, like, somebody 20 spots ahead of them. Like, Stanford is the worst by like, quite a by far. when I looked at it. Yeah, so he says, keep up the work as always, great work as always, Andrew. Okay, so I'm, so we all enjoy college football. Um, just as an analogy, um, I'm so I'm against generally legislating big things that would change gameplay, and this is one of those things that would change gameplay. But as an analogy, in baseball, a lot of people who otherwise are fans of baseball or who have been fans of baseball or historically have been fans of baseball are very um, unenthused with the way baseball has um, changed over the years, and now it's all home runs, fastballs, and that's about it. And one of the things that's been um, talked about as potentially one of the reasons um, uh, the game has changed so much is because of the uh, analytical use of defensive shifts. Um, And that it's just made it so that teams don't really have any incentive to hit, you know, singles and ground balls anymore. It's go for the fences or strike out. Um, Legislating defensive shifts out of that game might be something worth doing because people aren't enjoying the sport as much as they used to. Punting excessively has been the sport forever and nobody has batted an eye. Um, now, analytically, you can find advantages because that's just the, the, you know, the baseline thing that coaches do. They punt. Um, so if you're really good at finding the efficiencies there, if you're really good at saying, okay, well, on this fourth down, we always go for it because of you know, the obvious numbers here, then you can eke out an advantage. But no, you shouldn't penalize points for it um, because that's a really, it's an arbitrary thing that is um, at some level game breaking. Like you're changing the game fundamentally at that point. It's not the same even as um, moving the kickoff uh, five yards up just to see if you can get more people to get touchbacks. Uh, That doesn't change the game fundamentally because what does it do? It actually changes the kickoff average, what, a yard or two in one direction or the other? Um, this would drastically change the game. It would change the entire strategy of the game. And you can't, I I don't think you're adding at this point, new scoring ways. Like you're not adding or subtracting uh, points with like new innovations at this point. Um, The game is defined. It, it, it is what it is. And and not in like that weird um, axiomatic way, but it, it, it is a sport, like it's a defined sport. And I think if you drastically change the way scoring happens, you're changing it to something else. And the thing is, it's already super popular. People love it. So eke out your advantages against punts. I'll continue to rail against it, um, but it's something to rail against. It's not something that game, breaks the game. It's something that makes it you know, more interesting and fun when you know, a guy like Chip Kelly um, did start just kind of using fourth down as another down. Um, particularly at Oregon. And, you know, last year, I think he got better at it at UCLA. Um, and it's kind of fun to watch David Shaw just stubbornly kick on fourth and one from uh, the opposing team's 38. It's it's fun. <laughs> it's something that adds to the game. I don't think it detracts from it. Um, and so, yeah, no, I think this is stupid. I think it's a stupid idea. It's fun to talk about. And I like going against Andrew, so I kind of want to lean towards it. But I think uh, hockey did the same thing. Do you remember, like, when Martin Brodeur – I don't know if you're a big hockey fan, but, like, 
the New Jersey Devils were like just they would just back down on these defensive thing and they would just play defense all the time and it wasn't very fun. Um, but they won Stanley Cups with it. And I I believe I'm not a huge hockey guy, but I think they changed some of the rules or something changed so that really wasn't happening anymore. Um, you know, we've seen the NBA like, you know, get rid of hand checking. Like we've seen rules change that really do change the game, but it's not like how you score points. Like that's uh that's something very different. I do like the fun aspect of it though, to just and the fact that it could be discussed might make people go, you know, maybe I should go for it more. I don't know if David Shaw will, but what if we said like, you don't give up a point if you punt on like your side of the field, but if you cross midfield and punt, you have to give up a point. Like, would no, you be in favor? Uh, the incentives, the, the incentives and disincentives are already baked into the game. They're baked into the results already. If you punt from the opposing team's thirty-eight on fourth and one or fourth and two or whatever, you're already baking into what you're doing that you're making a suboptimal decision. You are already in a sense costing yourself points. Yeah. You don't need to add to that by subtracting another point. Yeah. They're they're already screwing up. They're punishing themselves. The punishment the punishment is what they're doing. Like the frustration is you're doing something stupid. You're doing something that's bad. It's not like it's something that's again, it's not like something like the defensive shifts in baseball, which are optimal but they're game-breaking. Like, they are making the game worse. This is something they're doing that's suboptimal, that's just making them look stupid, and it's making their teams worse. But that's not something you need to legislate out of the game. That's something you need to legislate out of coaching. Like, that's something you need to do by hiring better coaches or teaching them basic statistics, not by penalizing them again. It's double penalty. They're already penalizing themselves by being stupid. That makes sense. It's... You... But it's almost like universally accepted that it's okay. So then the stupidity right, but then, is never But then it makes out. it an even more extreme advantage for the coaches that figure it out. Yeah. Like the, incre- the crazy thing about college football is that there really hasn't been that analytical revolution yet. Um, yeah. It's It's been – it's changed the NBA game. Like the NBA game, you could make an argument it's better or worse than it used to be, but it has certainly changed. Like the way teams hit threes, the way they shoot threes – in particular, but there's a lot of other stuff, but just the way analytics have been applied to everything from defensive stuff to offensive stuff, the whole thing, the NBA game has changed. Um, at the baseball, it has changed probably for the worse. Um, even in college basketball, I would say it's maybe even gotten a little bit more prevalent than it has in college football. It just has not hit the game the way it has. And football generally, I don't think it's hit the game, even at the NFL level. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of room for some coach to just start making positive expected value decisions and we'll see if it ends up happening. It's uh, I think we use this analogy about like blackjack and like, if you, you hit, but like what I would love to have a casino go, all right, if you have 16 and the dealers has a 10 showing and you stay, you got to do a shot. Yeah, <laughs> like that's what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an entire table that has just, it, it's a tire and table of weak blackjack players who have all, one of them decided to stay on 16 and they're all going with it. Yeah. And you just need that one person. And the thing is you need to play a long time for it to eke out its advantage. Like it's not going to, maybe in one season you're going to look a lot worse, but over the balance of years, you're going to look a lot better and you're going to win a lot more games if you are making those decisions right. Yeah. Well, like you could sit and play blackjack for hours and play hundreds and hundreds of hands. So your advantage will come it's tough in a football game because you only get, you know, if you're in the NFL, it's 16 a year, 12 or 13, you know, in college. So 
Um, all coaches, all coaches, all coaches, when the new NCAA football game comes out, they need to be refining their decision making all off season by playing video games. Yeah. And I'm I'm like not even I would say I'm five percent kidding there. But I really think that it would behoove them all to really work on their just baseline. Like, okay, when is it optimal to do this? What kind of plays should I call in those situations? And no, it's not like, but just get used to the reps, like the mental reps of calling kind of everything in a certain situation. Don't just fall into your traps Um, and get used to the idea. Get used to the, you know, the commitment you have to have to it. But anyway, let's continue. Uh, I think you're next, right? Yeah. Yep. This is from Nick. L.A. Rivalry. Guys, curious question. I was thinking about the UCLA uh, suck rivalry. I don't think it's blasphemy to say suck most always has had a talent advantage, with the exception of the 80 to 2001-ish, where it was much more even in talent. In recent years, the game has been rather even, with neither team really winning by more than 14 to 17, with the exception of a few times. And now with Chip Kelly and his really dreadful recruiting and lack of roster management, is it possible that he is really that much better at the X's and O's than the uh, SUC's staff? Or is the closeness of the games due to the fact that it's a rivalry? Second question. Okay. So, yeah, it's definitely possible that he's much better at X's and O's than the USC staff. Yeah. I would yeah. I would go along there. Yes. Yes. I think the talent, so there's been a, said, yeah. Go ahead. Talent disadvantage. There's definitely a talent disadvantage there. And, you know, UCLA won two years ago, lost last year, but yeah. Yeah. And the reason um, it's getting, uh, you know, I, I would say, Last year, Kelly probably coached more circles around the USC staff than he did in either the previous two years. But I think the talent gap is getting worse, not better. Yeah. Um, or uh, And then second question, I listen to a lot of podcasts dealing with college football and a lot of the other pods, i.e. the solid verbal are pushing oh, another solid verbal reference, are pushing a line that the L.A. rivalry is not really a rivalry anymore. Where would you put the rivalry against others? Thanks for the entertaining listen. Wow, another heard- thing is kind of stupid. Um <laughs> Of course, it's a rivalry. I haven't heard. I I doubt. I mean, you know, Dan's a, a Pac-12 guy. I don't think he's saying it's not a rivalry anymore. I mean, I. Yeah, I don't I, know if that's mishearing. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's still obviously a rivalry. Um, it'll never not be. I mean, even if the streak gets up to like twenty zero, which it's never going to be, but even if it did, it wouldn't not be a rivalry. Yeah. I mean, it it goes to much more than just like the result on the field and. It has been pretty even since basically the 60s. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's you know, L.A. kids, they, you know, grow up as a fan of one or the other. They go to one of the other schools. So many people in the area went to one of the other schools. Like, it's just, that's always going to be there. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's up there. It's geography more than it is anything. It's it's unique. I mean, there's a lot of rivalries that are unique. Um for different reasons. I mean, there's just no, you know, you, you know, there's no like two major football programs in Miami. First of all, it's hard to have a major football program in a huge city. Like there's not one in New York city. The fact that you have two in LA and rich traditions for both of them and over a hundred national championships for each one and football success and basketball success and all that stuff. It's just a really unique rivalry. So yeah, I think, I mean, is it Ohio state, Michigan, you know, on college football scene? I don't know. And you know, it's, but it's uh you know it's a big one. Uh, I would I would say it's not gone away. No, no. Yeah, this one's for everybody. Despite the best today. efforts of uh, UCLA and USC's admins to hire uh, uh, horribly. Yeah, they still still around. 
This is a Yankee swap uh, from Hithliday. There wasn't a discussion of the Sermon Deruder Hayward Yates trading between between Cal and Oregon last week. All right, so just to update everyone, so Tim Deruder uh, is now at Oregon. He's the defensive coordinator there. Peter Sermon is at Cal, right? Defensive coordinator there. Keith Hayward, I believe, is the outside linebackers coach at Cal. And Marcel Yates, who's the former um, defensive coordinator at, at Arizona as recently as 2019. He was at Cal last year. He's now at Oregon, I think, coaching the cornerbacks, if I'm not mistaken. So that's just a that's what uh, he thought he was talking about there. He says, given that, per the barbecue discussion, you boys don't know much about a quarter of the league's head coaches. I'm guessing this week's show hasn't discussed assistant coaches. I just did. Uh, I'm having a tough time explaining these swaps, and I'm paid real American currency, though not enough, to do so for Oregon fans. So people were asking what Hithlady does. So he gets paid real American currency to talk about Oregon. Uh, so I figured I'd ask uh, the other end of the value spectrum. The conventional wisdom about the top of the ticket is that Cal flipped Sermon and DeRuiter's duties last year because the latter was going to be targeted for head coaching jobs. They wanted, they wanted to get their defensive coordinator transition done early. Uh, plus maybe some cynicism since, I mean, a, a cronyism since Wilcox is also a former Oregon player. Then the pandemic resulted in fewer firings. And so DeRuiter took the only upgrade he could get, which was play calling at Oregon. Hayward was passed over twice for internal promotion to DC by Cristobal, who insists on previous play calling experience. So that catch 22 meant Hayward would never get it. And he left to take DeRuiter's old job. So far, does that all add up to you? And this is where it breaks down for me. Hayward's not getting play calling duties at Cal either, right? He almost certainly taking a pay cut, a big one considering the cost of living in the Bay Area. For at best, a lateral move. Isn't the next rung on the ladder play calling at a G5 school instead? Is this more cronyism from Wilcox, who coached him at Washington and USC? And then Yates, who's been a DC for eight years at three schools, decides to stay at the potential uh, positional coaching level, but switch locations to, to Eugene. Is that just financial? All right. uh, I, I will give my favorite answer if they loves it. I have no friggin' idea, but um, the same thing that applied to fewer head coaching shifts may also have applied to fewer assistant shifts. So a guy like Yates who may have been holding out for like a G5 DC role, which I, I don't know if he's ever getting a DC, DC role again, actually, after his performance at Arizona, but he might be holding out for something like that. There might just not have been a lot of openings. Um, same thing for Hayward. But also, when you see weird assistant shifts where they're just switching um, school to school and with no discernible salary increase or whatever, there can also be personality conflicts. Um, so I, I wouldn't be shocked if that played a role, too. Um, Wilcox, I also think, is definitely doing cronyism. I don't really buy the whole DC transition thing. I think uh, he and Sermon are, Sermon are buds. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. Maybe he and Hayward are buds, too. Also, in coaching, it's the rare head coach who will just hire the best available assistant coach. Most of the time, these dudes are just hiring their friends. Yeah. I think, I mean, I I know a couple of these guys pretty well. I haven't talked to Keith Hayward in a while, but I, I got to know him pretty good at USC. And I got to know Tim DeRuiter pretty well when he was at Fresno State. I know DeRuiter's fired up for the opportunity. Um, I didn't get into it about, you know, why he was leaving Cal. But yeah, I mean, he sort of gets demoted and. That's enough. I mean, if you go from, you know, co-DC or whatever at, at Cal to Oregon, who's, you know, a higher ranked program right now, I think that's definitely an upgrade. And 
maybe there wasn't going to be head coaching opportunities uh, because of the pandemic, and he could get an opportunity to do that there. But I think he's a really good defensive coordinator. I like Hayward a lot. I'm not sure because I felt like he would have been further along than where he is now. Just like talking to him, like yeah, this guy's good. Like I think he knows his stuff. But you're right, and he doesn't have that opportunity. You know, Yates went from a longtime defensive coordinator to you know position coach again. Sometimes it's just like kind of taking what you can get too. Um, and like you said, personality conflicts and stuff. So don't know for sure hit the day. I mean, I, but I know a couple of those guys at least, and I think highly of, of both of them. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how they do this year. All right. Uh, uh this is from yeah. Alex and SB okay. off season airing of the grievances. Hello, Dave and Ryan. I want to start the email off by thanking you for allowing the mediocre quality of the podcast to not dip during the long off season. I wanted each of us to have a chance to partake in a potential airing of grievances. So here we go. Dave, you might have to help Ryan understand a basketball reference on this, ostensibly a football podcast. The Pac-12 has added a ton of games for Oregon at the end of the season to boost the number of games they played. Despite the fact that Oregon canceled on UCLA three separate times this year and next week UCLA is scheduled to be at home, the Pac-12 is forcing UCLA to play at Oregon instead of making Oregon bring their butts down to LA if they're that desperate for more games. On a scale of the Pac-12 giving USC 12 less hours of notice, they'll be playing Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game to consist... uh, giving USC 12 fewer hours of notice that they'll be playing Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game to constantly making top top conference teams take on road conference games on a Friday night, how much grievance should UCLA fans have towards the conference? That's a tough scale. That's a lot of words. I'm not going to say them again. Uh, But we'll go the classic 1 to 10. 10 being the most grievance, 1 being the least grievance. Uh, I would say an 8. I think this is legitimate crap. Um, Oregon was put on the schedule this week for basically next week. Um, it's It gives UCLA three road games in a row instead of two and then a week to prepare for USC, which is the best team in the conference this year, um, which is what the schedule always was. Um, waiting this long to uh, schedule Oregon is crap. The reason UCLA had to initially cancel its Oregon game was because of Pac-12 failure. Uh, they let their officials carpool to a game, one of them COVID positive, which uh, made them unable to officiate the game. So Pac-12 incompetence was the reason that UCLA couldn't play the initial one. Then Oregon had COVID issues um, for the rescheduled ones. And now UCLA is the is the program that gets screwed here. Yeah. Just, I, it, I know with Andy Enfield, he talked about they were ready for Stanford. They got to play Oregon this week. Um, it was short right after they lost to Arizona. Now they end up blowing them out, but they're like, it's a very different, you know, like they play this matchup zone. They only had a couple days or, to, you know, to really get ready. I think they had one practice day or something to get ready. So he wasn't super happy about it either. It worked out, but he got to play, you know, USC got to play Oregon at home. UCLA has got to go on the road. So yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, is uh, you got to do what you got to do, but it's, you know, you're screwing one of the best teams in a conference in, in this instance. Yeah. And then also, Dave, if you're bored and willing, it's been a year since on air you asked your contact at The Athletic why they have a beat writer for USC but not UCLA. Did I do that? I do not remember you doing that. But Who's my I, contact at The Athletic? I don't know. I have contacts at The Athletic. I think maybe might I, I might have asked. Any chance of passing my grievance along at the lack of action and slap in the face of UCLA fans? Thank you, fans. Uh, I could ask again. Um, yeah. There you go. You know, uh, yeah, I'll try to remember that and ask. Uh, is everybody... Rapid fire, rapid fire. Yeah, we, I, I got to go here pretty soon. Uh, Perk, has, he says, my apologies, David, if the first question is redundant. 
uh, as he touched it a bit during the solo episode. One, a part of Urban Meyer and many other elite recruiters' philosophy was to hit hard in the areas where the local programs are down. Texas, when UTU and AM were struggling. Do you guys feel that other Pac-12 powers have taken full advantage of USC's downturns from the sanctions onto today? Oregon and Washington definitely have. Yeah, I think UCLA could have done a much better job of it. It's really been the programs outside of the conference that have done a better job. Yeah, I mean, UCLA under Mora did a pretty good job of it for a few years, but then lost lost the plot. Yeah. Uh, two, do you guys see the offseason seven-on-seven leagues gaining enough traction to turn football into a year-round sport similar to AAU circuit and basketball? I mean, no, but it's a different sport. But pre-pandemic, like they already, I mean, they were, we were going to seven on seven events like the day after signing day. Like, yeah, but nobody, nobody, nobody pays to watch seven on seven. It's crap. AAU people go watch the games. Uh, okay. Seven on seven is dog shit. Uh, only friends and family. Um, and it's a different sport. AAU basketball, it's the same sport. Like you're still playing basketball. Seven on yeah. seven is like uh, touch football, like no linemen. Like it's not the same thing. Um, right. So no. Yeah. Okay. So if you're talking about like attendance and stuff, yeah, people aren't going to show up for that. Uh, what is the most overrated city or area in Southern California? And what's the most underrated? Mm. I feel like you got strong opinions on this that I don't, you know, I don't, I, I don't, um, most overrated city or area in Southern California is. Uh, mm. uh, I don't know, man. That's tough. I mean, you could say like, Beverly I could say, Hills. I could say Hollywood's the shittiest. You, I mean, Hollywood probably be a good one for overrated. Um, underrated? Um, I don't know. What's underrated? I know. everything. You know what? I'll say beach cities are pretty overrated. Like, I'd say, like, uh, basically where we live. Are you uh, kidding me? El Segundo Plus through, me. like, Redondo and Hermosa. Like, it's just, it's the same. It's just, you know, it, unless you're, like, super into, like, just having sand everywhere, it's just kind of, eh. Uh, underrated. I mean, there are parts of like Long Beach gets some bad rap, but there's some cool parts of Long Beach. There is some, there, there are some very cool parts of Long Beach. Long Beach will be up there. Um, man, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I it's nothing. tough. Yeah. I nothing. Lots Sorry, of parts really kind of suck. Um, most <laughs> of the parts that are good are properly rated already. Yeah, I think it's mostly probably rated. I would say that's the, the takeaway from this. All right, we're going to go super rapid fire. This is our friend Choni19, who always sends us text messages that, for whatever reason, are split up between several different emails. So I'm going to try to read this effectively. I, I, I have it like in the thing if you want me to read it. Go for it, please. Okay. Hi, guys. Welcome to the offseason. Thanks for answering uh, all of our questions. One, what the hell does a, first, does a search firm do? What are the advantages and disadvantages versus... The conferences doing the search themselves. Is this more frivolous spending from the Pac-12 or do other conferences typically go through the same process? They do typically go through the same process. It is frivolous spending. Um, most of what's done is that they identify people and names and then they act as an intermediary. It is ass covering in a lot of ways for yeah. ADs and for presidents in this case. Um, but typically you'll hear search firms and coaching searches. Are they doing anything that like a strong Google search couldn't have done? Probably not, but they do act as intermediaries and do some important work in that area. Um, but yes, it's frivolous spending. It's way overpaid work. It's like all consulting. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're protecting your ass uh, a lot of times. Uh, Dave is always saying that the, uh, as a program, UCLA should be an annual eight to 10 win program that every four years should contend for a conference championship and or 
be nationally relevant. Having said that, what should the other 11 programs be? Oh God, what in, what individual what's individually stopping them from being that? Okay, so there's one program in the league that should be like year in and year out competing for a national title, and that's USC. Then I would say there are several um, that are in kind of the same boat as UCLA, which is given whatever the natural advantages, given with the the commitment of resources, all that crap, and that's probably UCLA, Oregon, and Washington. UCLA is the most down of those three because they just have hired shittily for a long time. And then now they hired very unluckily with uh, Chip Kelly. But those are the three that should probably be in that realm. And then there's various other ones that with the right set of circumstances. And this is basically all of them who could strike fire, you know, strike while the iron's hot and and make a huge run and make a playoff. Um, and that's basically everyone else. Um, but I think that's the tiers that you're talking about. Yeah, shittily. I like that. Yeah, uh, and maybe, and you know, in certain situations, maybe ASU can get into that top three or that that second three. Um, but that's for like periods of time. I think yeah. historic. I think you're going to be looking at Washington, Oregon, and UCLA as as the ones with the advantages to do it. Yeah, ASU's got to break out of that Shane declared seven and five uh, curse yeah. there. Uh, three, knowing you two hate talking basketball, will you consider at least some sort of preview when March Madness begins for the teams that made it? Yeah, we'll consider it. We're not going to do it, but we'll consider it. <laughs> Four, Dave, how are you liking living in Southern California again versus Georgia? Do you and Ryan hang out outside of work? Thanks, fellas. Keep up the great work. A Shoney 19. I have seen no one since returning to Southern California in last April, um, but we will. Um, I've tried. He's tried. He's tried to deliver me sandwiches um, twice in the last like four days, which is very kind. I did go to Ike's and it was it was good. It's really good. The Mac That's Kane, a, that's a chain, right? Yeah, it's a chain. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Huffman, big fan. Um, I do like living in Southern California again versus Georgia. Obviously, there's some things I miss. um, And I don't know how much of that is. I just miss life before the pandemic. Um, But uh, certainly, it's nice being around uh, my family again. Yeah. Nice. Well, hey, lots of, man, that was a really good one. Lots of good, uh, good stuff. I was just, sorry, we had to finish up quickly because I just have to run into another uh, podcast and, and do that. So. Um, but I think we, yeah, we, hour and a half. That's pretty good. But a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of football too, for a February 24th podcast. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Nice stuff. All right. Well, that will wrap it up. He is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the podcast of champions. And we will talk to you next time. Goodbye. Have you heard of Nordic knots? The Scandinavian rug company that has become the insider brand gracing some of the most beautiful homes around the world? With rug designs by some of the world's leading designers and a signature collection of wool and jute rugs in modern colors? But Nordic Knots is not just about great design. Their mission is to make quality rugs that last, with no compromises. Goodweave certified, handmade pieces woven in all natural materials. At NordicKnots.com, it's easy to find a rug that's just right. A curated collection in lots of colors and sizes to choose from. Even custom sizes are possible. So, whether you're the type who loves the understated elegance of their luxury essentials or the bold statements from their top designer collaborations, you can't really go wrong. Oh, and don't tell anyone, but right now, you can get a free sample with the code INNERCIRCLE. NordicKnots.com.